0: Well, so good to be with you guys this evening. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David, I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. And hopefully most of you know we've been doing a summer preaching series. Where we've been having men from outside of our church come preach at our church. And we're so excited to have Greg Brazil here tonight with us. He's a lead pastor in Wichita, Kansas. He's a great preacher. He's currently getting his doctorate from Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina. We're excited for him to preach the Word of God to us as a church tonight. So if you'll join me in welcoming Greg to the stage, give him a warm welcome. <laughs> Yeah. good evening you guys ain't baptist but you are so you uh can sing a little bit let's go to psalm chapter eight it's uh good to be here um i want to read to you real quick if i can if matt's not too offended the uh text on monday of this week i had no idea i was coming here so uh here's your pastor's text hey man crazy question any chance you could preach sunday and i sent back this sunday yes ha So. <laughs> And it goes from there. Let me see. Two hours, perfect. I'm in. Awesome. Psalm eight, sweet. And then we go from there. So here, here we are. Good to be here. I got here at four o'clock. Uh, southwest got us here, but uh, just barely. So we uh, we praise God for them, but we hope that they um, get saved eventually. And never mind. We'll not. We'll stop there. Psalm chapter eight. Um, let's, we're going to read it on the screen behind me. Uh, Psalm eight. We'll read this together. So all of you in unison. It'll sound awesome. So. Uh, With gusto, if you have your Bible, ESV translation, or iPad, or Android, or a scroll or something, uh, Psalm chapter 8. And we'll read, you notice, we'll read the little uh, title of the Psalm at the top. So let's read together slowly. Here's what David says. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a Psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. Um, Names are powerful, aren't they? If you just name one, name someone famous, powerful, all kinds of emotions, affections, desires just um, uh, surface in your mind. So for example, Hitler, Oprah, no connection to the first one, uh, LeBron James, Brad Pitt, Steve Jobs, Phil Mickelson, trending today, won the British Open, Justin Bieber, which I don't know. Never mind. We just—I almost did in the first one. So, uh, Rick Warren. The Austin Stone, my, my phone this week blew up with tweets and emails and text messages and Facebook and even phone calls over coming here. Guys saying I was lying about coming here. I actually am coming here. Um, and so just your name, what God's done here, which we praise God for what he's doing here, what he's done here, just your name. I got like 25 new Twitter followers in like an hour just because of your name uh, with, with me coming here. That's what names do. Names are powerful. Uh, Michael Jordan, you may have know that name, his inner circle has, they have code names, and so things like Venom, one guy's name, Butler is a name. Michael Jordan's name, Yahweh, that's the Hebrew name for God if you're not familiar with that word, Yahweh. He's so powerful and so known, he needs more name uh, to justify who he is. Names are powerful, and that's the point, I think, of Psalm 8, that this name, there's one name that's above every name. Of all the names that you can name, there is one name that resounds through all the earth, through all of human history, and it's this name, verse 1, O Lord. Now your English translations have that as L-O-R-D in all caps, most likely. Um, the, The word there is Yahweh, it's I am. That's God's personal, revealed, intimate, private name that he has made known to all of us. I am who I am, he says to Moses, Yahweh, our Lord, our master, our king, how majestic, how lofty is your name in all the earth, not just in Israel, that's a little tribal, local, national God, he's the globe's God. Not just Israel. See other nations had their gods, Assyria, Babylon, uh, they all had gods, Egypt had their gods. No one said their god was the god of gods and the lord of lords though. Israel comes along and says our god is throughout all history, all tribes, tongues, nations, and languages. He's not just Israel's god or the American's God, or the Christian's God, or the Texan's God, he's God of gods and Lord of lords, and this name is majestic in all the earth. And so all peoples, all tribes, all tongues know him either as judge, he's Lord as judge or as savior uh, of them. So my question is why? Why is his name so high and so majestic and so lofty and so kingly in all the earth? And there are three reasons that David, I think, tells us why. His glory, his love, and his grace. There is no other God who has this much glory, this much love, and shows you this grace. And so whatever your God is, whatever you're giving yourself to tonight, uh, pleasure, a relationship, your, your marriage, your career, power, whatever you're giving yourself to, no other God can give you what this God can give you and do for you. So the three reasons, His love, or His glory, His love and His grace. So number one, if you're taking notes, I'm not sure if you do those here, but we do it at our congregation. So if you're taking notes, number one is His glory. This is why God's name is so high. You want to reason to see why God's name is so high? Look at His glory. He said His glory, He says, in the heavens. There's no God that's worth more than this God. No one's more valuable, more affluent, more influential, more innovative than this God. No one is above him, his glory. So let's back up though and ask, what is glory? Well, the word in Hebrew, it means something like weightiness or even heaviness, like picking up rocks. If a rock is heavy, it's, it's glory, it's significant. But you know what glory is. Let me give an example. I live in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, this past year, our unknown underdog Shockers were in the Final Four uh, basketball. Wretched Louisville beat us. I'm not bitter anymore, but there was a time when I had to deal with my own heart. So anyway, uh, they're in the they're in the Final Four. I'm in Wake Forest. A couple of months ago, a month or so ago, and a guy comes up to me and says, "Dude, the Shockers killed this year." I'm in Wake Forest. There's a few teams out that way who can dribble, who can do layups. you've you've got Duke out there, you've got Wake Forest, North Carolina, NC State, all those, this basketball country out there, and this guy says to me, the Shockers killed this year. That's glory, that's fame. Something happens and everyone seems to know about this. There's weightiness and significance. It's known to all and this God um, wants and deserves and is worthy and even demands all significance, all renown, all fame because he alone uh, is worthy of this. Now you see it in two ways in Psalm uh, 8. You see his glory in two ways. Uh, one, in the heavens and in helplessness. And I'll explain those. Verse, uh, verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. Now by heavens, what he means, you just go outside, things out there and things up there. Stars, moon, planets, galaxies, solar system, mountains, trees, grass, valleys, animals, everything that you see out there that we didn't make, that's the heavens essentially. And so the heavens are shot through with God's glory. Everything about them is screaming and announcing how glorious this God is. God made them and fashioned them to magnify his name, not theirs. They exist for glory. It's his, but it's not their glory. See, the heavens aren't idolatrous, are they? They know their maker. They know the one who fashioned and formed them uh, with his fingers. They know who this God is. They exist for glory, but not theirs. Uh, Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So in Wichita, we're not a very big city, but we're, um, we're a decent-sized city. But we have the largest IMAX movie screen in the world. You can Google this later. The type of screen, it's like nine stories high. It's crazy. All right, so biggest screen, IMAX in the entire, not, uh, not Sydney, not Austin, not New York, not Dallas, not Dubai, at least, yet. Yeah, they will probably eventually build, I'm always building big stuff up there. Um, but we right now have the largest IMAX in the world. Now, here's the thing. No one drives out there, pays 20 bucks a ticket, that's what it is right now, Um, and looks at a blank screen for two hours. Who cares how big the screen is if there's no movie on it? You go and see Top Gun, which was there a couple of months ago. You go and see Man of Steel or The Hobbit three times, like me. That's what you do, all right? Who cares how big the thing is if there's no movie on the thing? It exists not for itself, but for movies. And John Calvin called the world the theater of God. Every single thing exists to shout and announce how glorious, beautiful, big this God is. Psalm 104 uh, mentions all of these animals, you know, the uh, the, the lions, the mountain goats, the rock badgers, all these animals, and then the uh, the psalm ends, 104.31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. So creation is announcing the glory of this God. It's in the heavens. And so don't misuse creation. Don't look at a sunset and just savor the sunset and stop there. It's meant to magnify this God. A zoo is meant to zoom God in. And the intricate workings of how creative, how joyful this God fashioned all these creatures for himself. That's why the heavens exist. So you see it there. Uh, you also see it in helplessness. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, verse 3, look what he says, out of the mouths of babes or babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now what does that mean? It means that God is so powerful and so mighty, he can use the weakest to overcome the mightiest. The way God is most glorified in you is not through your savviness and your might, it's through your weakness. God is so magnified and made glorious through your pain, your suffering, and your weaknesses. Not your intellect always, not, not your might, not your savviness with life. Think of an infant, he says, mentions infants here. I'm thinking infants are so helpless, aren't they? You have kids, I have, I have kids. They're so helpless. They can't feed themselves, change themselves, tie their shoes. My son wears Velcro shoes. He can't tie them yet. Right? But in that, there's so much power, isn't there? Like they decide when you sleep, if you sleep, when you go out, if you go out. There's so much power. You are a slave for 18 years with them. And now, it's a sweet sla- slavery, okay? should encourage you to have kids very uh, long time from now. Anyway, they're, they're so powerful over you. And the point is, is that God, When the more you know Him, the more you need Him. It's in weakness where Paul says that Christ's power is just so made known through us. So He set glory in the heavens. He's set glory in helplessness. And so if, you, if you're bored with this God, you've got the wrong one. If you're bored with the Gospel and the Bible and worship and singing to this God, how if you've got the wrong one if you're bored with Him, you can't exhaust this God. You can't tap His limits. There's always more of Him to know, love, enjoy, discover, delight yourself in. You cannot exhaust Him. He is limitless. He is blazing with glory. I read a book years ago uh, called The God Who Smokes. The author is Timothy Stoner. I'm not joking about that at all. Everybody laughs, but I'm not joking about that. You can go on Amazon and find it. But here's what uh, Stoner, this was very helpful years ago for me, figuring out just kind of who God was and what does God want and what is God about. Here's what Stoner says, just one pair, uh, short couple sentences. He says, God believes that he is the most worthy, most majestic, magnificent, glorious, stunningly beautiful being in the universe, that to him alone belong honor and glory and praise forever, and he is right, Stoner says. He is out of control, ours but not his. He is the good but not safe God that C.S. Lewis talked about. He's blazing with glory, that's why his name is so majestic and high and powerful, and some of you maybe are, you're wasting your affections on everything else but him. You're giving yourself over, your mind, your emotions, your talents, your money, to everything except for this God who is blazing and beaming with light and glory. Number two is His love. Now what I mean here is that, is that David, David looks up at the heavens and he sees how, how big, for one, the heavens are, how glorious they are, and he looks at himself and he thinks, why does God care about me? You ever ask yourself that question? Let me just look how vast this stuff is around us, and yet God seems to care about us. David is appalled by this. Look at what he says in uh, three: "When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place now we'll just stop there for a bit um, think of the heavens. And again, you know, creation, the earth, solar system, the ocean, stars, mountains, rivers, animals, all of these things. Think of how the sheer size of the universe that we're in. So our, our Milky Way uh, galaxy is roughly 100,000 light years in diameter. Now how much is that? Well, let's do a little, bit of, a little bit of time math for you. If this bores you, then just come back in a few minutes, okay? So here's how big it is. Um, a million seconds is about 11 days. You can add this up later. A billion seconds is about 32 years. So million seconds, 11 days. A billion seconds, 32 years. One trillion seconds is about 32,000 years. Our national debt, just just kidding on that. Um, So that's how far we are. So million, 11 days, billion, 32 years, trillion, uh, 32,000 years. One light year is about six trillion miles. Six trillion miles is one light year. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. And that's one of likely billions of other galaxies that are out there. That's how vast and mind-boggling the size of this, the universe and creation is. But also its beauty, maybe more relevant to us, is its beauty. I love the arts. I love movies, uh, film, plays, poetry, literature. I love all that stuff. Those are highly scrutinized areas though, aren't they? I mean, if you paint something, Get ready for all kinds of critique, all kinds of second guessing, all kinds of scrutiny on those things. They're highly critiqued and scrutinized areas. No one, no one critiques creation. Like, no one looks at a sunset and goes, ah, the contrast is off, we could have done this better here. No one does that. Instead, Discovery films it and Oprah Morgan Freeman narrates it. That's how good it is. How good no one you see how beautiful how stunning David is seeing just looking at well shepherd boy has seen all of this and also just last little thing about it is its constancy here's what ecclesiastes 1:4 says a generation comes and a generation goes but the earth remains forever generation comes generation goes the earth remains forever you hear what he's saying the vcr used to be awesome we had those Big clunky, gigantic. Here's your movie for the day, sir. Just huge tape, you know. Had loud rewind the thing. Then God saved us with Blu-rays. All right, but again, that's going to go away. The point: generation comes up, pre-invents some things, does some things, dies. Somebody else replaces them. The Earth remains forever, almost indifferent to us. It seems. The sun, moon, seasons, tides all do their thing, without even much concern for us. And then David looks at all that and sees how vast and glorious, and he says in verse four, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, you shouldn't care. You have so much stuff to love. Man is a flea, and by man I mean mankind, not just man, but mankind is a flea, a temporary speck on the canvas of history. We're here for maybe 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years, and then we're gone. Creation, the world continues in this. We are so small. Go to a canyon or a mountain. I was at a beach uh, this past couple of uh, this past month. I'm like, why don't I live here? I live in a cornfield with concrete around it. Why don't I live in this place? So it continues. We're nothing compared with this. You need to you need to wrestle with this. This is why these militant atheist guys, Richard Dawkins, these guys are—they're so amazed at at just the world. They can't imagine there being a God that loves us. That's a problem. David's wrestling with this. In fact, here is what Job says: Job seven seventeen. One of the uh, one of the Job's friends I forget what his long name was. What is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him? Why do you care, Uh, Job 25, 5? Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. So what he's saying is that the stars and moon are morally neutral. There's no sin in them, but compared to God, they look sinful. That's how bright and holy uh, God is. And then he says, and uh, how much less man who is a maggot. The son of man, meaning us, who is a worm. So the point is, God shouldn't love us. He has the heavens that aren't rebelling against him, by the way. We're the ones who've rebelled. We've stiff-armed our maker. But the mountains have not. The oceans have not. And so Romans 8 says that because of our sin, it's all now groaning to be set free from bondage it's because of our sinfulness. Um, I was at the, uh, the zoo recently. With my, we had two boys. Uh, Crossed is four. Uh, rise is two. And then rain is due next month. Um, so we've outnumbered our wife by, by three now. So um, anyway, we're at the zoo, uh, which was hard. Like I was there by myself with him. You moms are phenomenal. How do you eat when you go out to places like that? How does it even work? Bathroom breaks are a whole new adventure now with two little boys uh, with me. So anyway, we're there and the lion, there's one, I think, male lion. This lion lets out five growls that just resound throughout the entire zoo. Everyone can hear this, which meant, I can kill you. a lion's growl translated to English as, I can kill you if I want to. That's kind of why God made me. That's what a lion, that is a majestic animal, isn't it? That and millions of other things, God should love that over us. Lions don't sin. So we wrestle with God's love, don't we? Many of you ask the question very, very often, does God love me? And that's what David is saying here. God shouldn't love us. Now, we struggle with God's love in two ways. Make two errors, I think, with God's love. One, we think that God can't love us. Uh, we're too sinful. It's, it's been too scandalous in our past. We're too broken, too busted up, too addicted. God cannot love us. And so most of our life is a dance to try and make God love us. To try and bend God's arm uh, to bless us, put God in our debt. Most of life is our attempts to get God to love us. That's one error. The other error is to think that God has to love us. We're so likable. We didn't watch Breaking Bad season six starting next week. We didn't see that. We're not going to see that, right? We've been good. God has to love us. He's God, right? We're, We're so likable, so we're so good, and so God has to. He's required by his nature to love us. Both of those are wrong. The Bible just totally disarms both of those ideas. God has no obligation to you. He has no, he sees nothing good in you that moves him uh, to love and to bless you. But scripture is clear that he continues to pour out his love and mercy and affections on those who know him. He has made us the objects of his love. I have seen my life, God should have left me in my sin. I have seen my heart, the motives, it gets very dark very, very quickly, and God should not be loving me, but he pours it on. He, the words uh, mindful and care in verse 4, they should stagger us. God's gaze is always on you. God never takes his hand, never takes his presence, never takes his good direction. He's always moving towards you for good. In everything that he sends, in everything that happens, in all that goes on in life, miscarriage, job loss, cancer, broken marriage, every single thing that God does in your life in some mysterious, I don't understand way, is moving towards you, Romans 8.28 says, for good. Last thing is God's grace. So he's high, he's majestic because of his grace. Uh, His glory in the heavens and helplessness, His love for us, despite our unloveliness, then three, His grace. Let me explain this for a bit. We'll be a, a second kind of getting to that point, but here's what verse five says. Yet you've made him, man, a little lower in power and abilities than the heavenly beings, probably angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him, notice this, you've given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish in the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So he has Genesis 1 in mind. You know, God makes man and uh, uh, woman in his image and says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, make the world look like this garden, essentially, and have dominion over everything. Um, Theologians call that the cultural mandate. So what he's saying is, go make culture, go make cities, government, music. Art, go advance, go build, education, go and make the world and have dominion over all of the world, to create technology, make golf courses and iPhones, go have dominion over all of these things. That's why that's what the cultural mandate is. And so we try that. And so, though man is small and um, a maggot essentially in God's eyes in our own fallen state, he gives us rule and authority over the earth. We should be ruling, having dominion over all these things. There's a problem though, us. The world's not as it ought to be, is it? If you look out and see all these things, do you see chaos? Now there are good things of course, I don't want to undermine that, there are definitely good things that we can do, but for the most part we can't even rule ourselves. Our own passions, our own lust, our own desires, our own greed for things, we can't even rule our own hearts, much less creation. And so it's all gone wrong. I mean, just look at your own heart. I mean, look at your own life, how things at times plague you. Suffering, temptations, sins, sickness, death, pain, those things plague us at times. We don't have Psalm 8 dominion is my point here. Look at the world as it is. I read this week in uh, Men's Health magazine, there's an article that encouraged men to view porn to reduce stress. So go watch porn and you'll have less stress in your life is what the point was i got to raise boys in that kind of culture and mess. i got to raise men who hopefully will love this glorious God in a world like that. Or my own heart. I see how I just, it just goes astray, it's so prone to wonder at times we don't have this kind of dominion, do we? I'm a pastor, and so I live in this stuff. I, it is all just zoomed in to my sight, and pastors here, you guys know this as well, and so things like adultery. AWOL, members, addictions, death, cancer, all those things. That's what my inbox is filled up with during most weeks, during most weeks. Uh, Our prayer list recently had two prayer requests next to each other. One was we're praising God for a baptism, a young boy, young young man. Uh, The other one was praying for a brain surgery for a 13-year-old. That's where we live, isn't it? You praise God for one, someone's been brought from death to life, and you're pleading with God to save and to heal and to work in this this guy's life. That's where we live. Um, If you watch Les Mis, uh, I love where Jean Valjean, um, Wolverine, where he, you know, he's so moved by, he's so moved by the priest's kindness, he's so just broken by grace and he sings, and he says in one part, he says, I stare into the whirlpool of my sin. We feel this, don't we? You know what it's like to just have sin recycled in your life. to have brokenness, pain, suffering, loss. Some of you have hurt and suffered deeply, or you will. We just, this world is not the way it's supposed to be, is the point here. Now, where do I get this? Um, you may be asking, I don't see that in Psalm chapter 8. I don't see sin. I don't see uh, anything about suffering. Where do I get this? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 is what is, uh, pulls this out. Hebrews chapter 2, if you want to turn there, you can, and we'll have it just on the, on the screen. But go back and read this if you get a chance, uh, and make a chance to read this tonight. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 quotes Psalm chapter 8, uh, verses about two or about 3 through 6. And he highlights that, you know, God's given everything over to man. All this dominion God has given to him. And here's what the author says in Hebrews chapter 2, I'll read it for you, verse 8. At present, right now, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, meaning to man. We don't see Psalm 8 dominion yet. We see pain, chaos, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, death, suffering, human trafficking. You see all these things going on, we don't see it right now, all this, it's not subject to him yet is the point. It needs an answer and he says in verse 8, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, same language of Psalm 8, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, there's our word, by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You hear what he's saying? He tasted the the curse and the death of the fall. He tastes this. He embraces this. Psalm 8 needs a savior is what he's saying here. And so God sent his son to the world, lived in our place sinlessly, died in our place shamefully, rose in our place victoriously. Now he is above every single name that is named, Philippians chapter 2 says of all the names that are named now, Jesus Christ is above every single name. He's the God who became man to rescue us and bring us to God. That's the king of Psalm 8, and one day, one day he will right all the wrongs. He will set this world right, he will renew all things in his sovereign power and timing, and so all that you've lost, all that you've missed out on in this life, you'll get in the next. You'll get in the next life. And so the question is, is he your king? Is his name majestic to you? Are you obeying him in everything that he says, in everything that he sends? Are you trusting him? Is your heart quickened when his name is mentioned? Does he move you? Are you in love with this God the way David was in love with this God? Because here's the thing. Some of you, I mean, right now, some of you may not even buy any of this. Like you checked out, like, an iPhone text message. You were just gone a while ago. You're not a Christian or you're not sure kind of where you are in this whole Christian church thing. And you likely have lots of doubts and questions about this. We, we, I welcome that. Keep on asking questions. Keep on wrestling, reading, thinking, talking with other Christians. Don't stop seeking. If this is true... It matters more than anything else in the world. So keep on doing that. Let me say two things. If you're skeptical or not really sure what's going on here, you're kind of a guest, you're just kind of checking this whole thing out, kicking the tires of the church as it were, let me say two things to you. One, at some point you need to doubt your doubts and question your questions. Why do you trust those things so much? Those things ebb and flow with your emotions and your feelings. Truth is always, it remains, it is eternal. So at some point you have to ask, question your own questions and doubt your own doubts about the truth of Christianity. But secondly I would say this to you, you've got to serve something. You may say I've got no gods, I'm not religious, I don't, I don't do this, I, don't have, I have no gods. You have gods in your life. Something is supreme, you worship something, you ascribe worth to something. All of us have, a. we, we can't live without some kind of king you got to serve somebody, Bob Dylan said. You have to serve and give yourself to something. It's power, it's pleasure, it's approval, it's beauty. You're giving yourself to something. All those things will enslave you. But Jesus Christ will save you and he will satisfy you. Um, Last thing I'll say, um, on April 30th, you may have read this, April 30th of this year, Robert Galbraith, I guess I'm saying his name right, uh, released his crime novel, Cuckoo's Calling. Uh, It bombed, sold 500 copies, stores almost pulled it from their shelves, um, until last weekend. It was announced that Galbraith wasn't the author. The author, in fact, of Cuckoo's Calling is J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter phenomenon author. And sales, the next day, they printed 300,000 copies in, I think, two days of the book. It's number one New York Times, one on Amazon, one on Barnes & Noble right now. It skyrocketed. Why? Just her name. The name changed everything. And if what I've said is right, and if Psalm 8 is right, and if Hebrews 2 is right, that Jesus Christ, his name is above all of the names in all of history of all peoples, of all tribes and tongues and languages. It changes everything for us. Let me pray for us and we'll sing our last song together to our great God and King. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We confess that we long for our freedom. We long to be set free from bondage to sin, to sickness, to death. We're so burnt out on this world at times. So I pray you would give us grace to wait on your son, to hope in him, to trust in him as our king, our savior, who will one day set this world right, who will renew all things. His name is above all names. God, your love, your grace, your glory, we long for that. And so I pray you would show us more of yourself. I pray you would give us more of a a glorious vision of who you are. Jesus, we ascribe all worth, all glory, all honor to you. We confess that we have at times wasted our affections on other gods, on other people, on money, on power, on pleasure. And so we confess that tonight. I pray you would save those, Lord Jesus, who are not believers, that you would open their eyes, that you would answer their questions with yourself. You would give them eyes to see and hearts to feel and and ears to hear the glories of your grace. So Jesus, we need you and we confess that. Help us all uh, to leave this place and walk with you and glorify your great name over all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.